Hello friends, and welcome to Keep Singing. I'm your host, Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry on Tumblr, and as I always say, just about everywhere else. And finally I'm getting to this. It took me fucking long enough, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, this shit keeps happening. You know, cause, cause life. But finally I'm here, and I'm going to do this. This is the second part of what ended up being a two-part episode, basically all about why this fandom rocks. And here's the thing about that. Uh, I think the, the timing of this ended up actually being, this particular second part episode, actually ended up being kind of really appropriate. Because, as I'm sure most of you are aware, the San Diego Comic-Con trailer came out. And that the, the aftermath of that was kind of interesting. Among other things, we got a, a fresh wave of ugliness directed our way because some people are just watching for any chance to do this kind of shit, and when it happens, they just have multiple orgasms in our direction that uh, basically are made of ugly. So we had that going on. And a lot of us, I think, found that kind of upsetting. I saw, I saw some disgusted posts about it. I think disgust is a perfectly reasonable response to that. And I, I know I'm, I'm starting an episode based around positivity with something negative, but, you know, it's, bear with me, because I swear it's going someplace better. And I got a message in my inbox. Well, first of all, I was very irritated by this, and I made absolutely no secret of the fact that I was deeply irritated. Not only about what was happening, but about what was motivating it, and, and what I perceived and believe incorrect about the feelings behind it, which are basically the same feelings that we always get. But I got a message in my inbox from somebody who, uh, somebody anonymous who left the fandom a while ago, uh, not because they, you know, didn't like the characters anymore or didn't like the ship anymore, or I, I gather not even didn't, it's not even really that they didn't like the show anymore. They just got sick of how toxic everything was. And, and the thing is, yeah, uh, this is a toxic fandom. Uh, one of the things that I said in response is, that yes, they're correct. It, not only is this a toxic fandom, but uh, this is actually the most toxic fandom I've ever seen. And my fandom experience isn't huge. Uh, like I think I've said more than once, I, I, was, I was out of fandom in an active way for about 15 years. Uh, I, I, was, I was in fandom kind of in like the fic writing sense and, and the producing fan work sense and the seeking out the company and interaction of, uh, of and with other fans. But then I got out of it and I, I just, I kind of didn't go back for a long time. And some of it was because I just was like, I, this is potentially life ruining, which it is. And I have enough going on in my life right now that I really can't deal with that. I, I was in doing my grad school coursework. I was, I was busier than I think I've ever been in my life, but uh, it was also just that I didn't, there was no fandom that kind of grabbed me. And it's, you know, it's really hard to say for sure what's going to grab me in a fandom. Because it's it's not enough to like the show or, or movie or whatever. And it's not enough to really like the characters. There are many, many shows and many characters that I cared for deeply and had lots of feelings about. Just a couple of examples, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, really any Star Trek at all, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel. There, there have been a number of things that I cared about a lot. Uh, God, Christ, Breaking Bad, which just devoured me pretty much for its entire run. And I have rarely been so terrified as I was with the season finale, uh, with the series finale. 
But anyway, getting back to what I was saying a million years ago, I, I don't have a lot of experience, but I have seen fandoms from the outside. And I know that fandoms tend to be ridiculous. It's just kind of, you know, even very good ones, even very cool ones. By nature, fandoms are ridiculous. They attract ridiculous people, of which I consider myself one. And they uh, promote ridiculous behavior. Now, not all of that is negative. I would actually say the majority of it's quite positive, but it is still ridiculous. I mean, let's be really honest about it. So I've seen fandoms from the outside. And they've, what I've seen has been enough to kind of not scare me off, but, but make me decide I didn't want to be part of that. But I did not know until I got into this fandom how ugly things were going to be. I mean, I, yeah, you know, I, I, I wasn't expecting it to be all puppies and sunshine, but it never occurred to me when I started shipping Beth and Daryl that people were going to routinely call me a pedophile. It just never occurred to me because it's not pedophilia, first of all. And second of all, it never occurred to me that anybody would care, which I think now in retrospect was incredibly naive. And I had been on the internet for a while at that point. Really, I should have known better because I just, you know, should know what people are like on the internet. But in, in my innocence, it didn't occur to me that anybody would give a shit what I liked. Certainly not enough to call me really gross names over it, but then it happened. And that, I think for many people, would be the point where they would leave. They would just be like, this is not worth it. Why would I stick around for this? Why would anybody voluntarily put themselves through this? Nevertheless, I did not leave. But many people have, uh, especially after Beth got shot. You know, they're just kind of, it was kind of, this is disgusting, now we are miserable, and there doesn't appear to be any reason to stick around now because the ship is sunk. You know, maybe still care about the ship in terms of reading fic, but, you know, not really so much with the ad being active in the fandom. So this person left. Mostly, they said, because of the toxicity. And then the Comic-Con trailer got released. And, you know, uh, all the characters had those flashback. I don't know if they those were supposed to be their thoughts or if that was just the show throwing something at you, whether it was internal or external. But there were all these flashbacks of these characters, people who were really important in their lives. All of those people, by the way, still currently alive. This is something that apparently a significant portion of this larger fandom either did not notice or conveniently chose to ignore. Both quite convenient, in fact. Conveniently didn't notice or conveniently ignored. Beth did not show up in Daryl's flashback. Uh, it was prim primarily Carol. Which, you know, given what I interpret that flashback series to be, makes complete sense to me. Everybody was thinking about people who are important to them are still alive. As far as Daryl's concerned, Beth is dead. Why would she show up? It would be a complete divergence from the rest of how those flashbacks were going. Maggie did not think of Herschel. Uh, Rick did not think of Lori. Michonne did not think of any of the people she's lost, and God knows she's lost enough. Sasha didn't think of Tyrese or Bob. Nobody thought of dead people. Everybody thought of people who were still alive. But, but you know, the really gross Carol section of the fandom, or even just people who don't like Beth, because God knows not all of them are confined to the Carolers, although that is most of them, were like, hooray, this, you know, proves that Beth doesn't matter. Didn't matter to Daryl, doesn't matter now, basically isn't important. And, you know, I, I, I could have predicted that. 
Because again, they're, they're looking for shit like this and they'll jump on it the second it appears. But you know, then there was this increased wave of grossness and some people got some shit in their inbox and then just posts were made. And you know, it, you can avoid those, but sometimes you just can't avoid them completely and you see them and they piss you off. Now, I did not personally see anything except what a couple people showed me. And also I just knew. So I yelled about it some, you know, because I needed to vent and it was fine and I vented and everything was cool. But somebody sent a message in my inbox saying every now and then I, you know, I left every now and then I come back just to kind of check on things or because I get nostalgic and it's the same shit that made me leave. They haven't changed, nothing's changed. It's exactly the same thing. Why do you stay? And believe it or not, this is something that I ask myself periodically. Something ugly will happen or I will just get fed up and discouraged and I'll think, is this worth it? Is what this is doing to my life now and then, not all the time, for most of the time I'm really happy, but, but is, this, is this nastiness worth it? But the answer I always almost immediately come to is yes. You know, it's, it's totally worth sticking around. This is a minor part of what the experience of this fandom is like for me. So this person said, how do you, I don't know how you stand it. And I responded saying, for some people, this isn't worth it. For some people, this is not something that they can or should try to stand. You know, when people find something less pleasant than it is pleasant, they should remove themselves from it. They shouldn't try to keep putting themselves through it because that's incredibly unhealthy and that's not taking care of themselves. But I personally do. And I said, you know, first of all, I just love these characters so much. And I really still care about this show in general. Um, you know, one of the people who hasn't stopped watching. And in fact, I'm really enjoying it right now. Other problems with it aside. And the truth is that you can care about a show and you can follow the characters and everything without being involved in fandom. Because as I just said, I've cared about many, many things and not really been involved in the fandom. It's not a prerequisite. But the way I care about it makes me want to engage with it on a communal level. I, I, part of my enjoyment of this show is being in the fandom. I probably wouldn't care about it in the same way if I wasn't in the fandom. It wouldn't consume as much of my mind, if nothing else. And you know, that might not even necessarily be the worst thing. But that's one reason why I stay. It's how I love these characters. It's how I love this show. It's in a way that encourages me to do it communally. And then the second major reason why I stay is that I love these people. You guys, I mean, I, I don't know most of you super well. That's okay. That's just kind of how, you know, I engage with people on Tumblr. I don't need to know people super well. At the same time, I am very personal about some of what I write. But that doesn't mean I don't really care about you guys. I do. I care a lot. And uh, the relationships that I formed because of the show and this fandom have, for the most part, been very rewarding. Uh, this, this fandom was here for me when I really needed it. The people in it were here for me when I really needed it, and they continue to be. And, you know, I would do so much for most of you. And I think that that's a really positive thing. Now, just like it's not impossible to continue following a show when you're not in a fandom, it's absolutely not a prerequisite, prerequisite, that's hard to say, to be uh, in a fandom to care about people and to continue to be friends with them. I am still friends... 15, 16, 17 years later with people I was in fandoms with in high school. We're not super close anymore. We don't interact on a really regular basis, but I still care everything for these people. And if they were in trouble, I would drop everything and do everything I could for them. And I am pretty sure that they feel the same way about me. 
those relationships last. They're meaningful. I, I would still feel like I would be saying goodbye to people if I left in a, in a really major way. And I don't want to do that. I still feel fundamentally like I'm getting more out of this experience than is dragging things out of me, if that makes sense. The, the input is still greater than my output in the sense of negative emotion. It's a cost-benefit analysis at heart. It's very, very basic. And it's, it's really very calculating, you know, in, in the most literal sense. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a calculation. It's a cost-benefit calculation. And right now, the benefits outweigh the costs. There are costs, but they're relatively minor, I think. But there's a final reason why I stay. And I promise I'll get to Fekrex in a minute. This is sort of being a really long intro, but I think this is important. The final reason why I stay, and this is, this is a combination of stubbornness and an inflated sense of self-importance on my part. I've, I've never made a secret of the fact that I'm self-important. I tend to be uh, fairly self-absorbed. But I, whatever the accuracy of my feelings about this, I feel like I am doing something good by staying. There's, there's the stubbornness of, you are not driving me out of my own house. You are fucking not. I am not allowing you to force me to leave because if I do that, you win. Now, they win if I stay and make myself miserable. But I also think that one of the reasons why these people are so ugly is because they are hoping that they drive people out. And then, again, I'm not saying that people should fight back and stay beyond the point where it's, you know, not healthy for them anymore. But for me, it's, it's like, okay, first of all, I don't feel the need to leave. This is fine. And secondly, I am fucking not going to do that because of you. I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep enjoying what I'm getting out of this fandom. And I'm going to keep producing the stuff that you hate. You know, if, if you hate the fic I write, well, I'm just going to write more of it. And I think that that is worth something. I, I like to think that by staying, I am in some respect, I don't know exactly how other people will decide this for themselves, but in some respect, I'm making the fandom better by being part of it. I think everybody who's an active part of this fandom in a good way makes it better. I just think that that's kind of basic math, again. But I, I think that it's worth staying because I think that I'm doing something good by staying. So all of those things keep me here. And again, you know, that's, that's not necessarily to say that people shouldn't leave. They absolutely should, if, if it's not working for them anymore. But there are, for me, a lot of things keeping me here. I think it's a great fandom. I think it's a great fandom in spite of how incredibly toxic the kind of umbrella fandom of The Walking Dead is, especially from one particular part of it, which I will be talking about a lot more when I do my rant episode, which is coming up. I don't know exactly when I'll record that, but it'll be soon, and you guys have given me so fucking much to talk about, not that I didn't have a lot to talk about anyway. But this fandom is really toxic, but this small part of the fandom, this sub-fandom, has remained very untoxic in spite of everything encouraging us to become that. Yes, we have our problems, yes, we have our infighting, and yes, we have our toxic people, but I think that for the most part, this is an incredibly positive fandom. And not only that, but I think that it's a very strong fandom because we've held ourselves together in spite of stuff that would crush other people, that just would, that would destroy a fandom. We survived the apparent death of half of our ship and also the character that a lot of us love the most and, and identify with the most. The really ugly, horrible, just gross in every possible way death of this person. 
And since then, at least for Daryl, it's just been nothing but misery, and that has not been the easiest thing to watch, although I personally have been enjoying it on certain levels that I have talked about more on the Tumblr. But we, we've lasted through that. We've lasted through the ugliness people have continued to lob at us since then, and in fact, ironically, it's, it's like it's doubled down since CODA, which makes no sense, because again, Beth is apparently dead, and this is not a threat to anybody's ship, and yet people won't let it go for whatever reason. I know, I know exactly why they won't. But all of these things should have broken us, and they didn't. We are an incredibly strong group of people. We are a weird group of people. We are sometimes not the healthiest group of people. Uh, we are a ridiculous group of people, but we are also incredibly resilient. And there's something I think that's really beautiful and valuable about that. And it's something that I enjoy being part of. So that's kind of a refresher plus some additional stuff regarding what I think is great about this fandom, why I am still in it, despite the fact that certain people have done everything they can to make me leave. They have fucking failed. I am still here and I have every intention to remain. So, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and get to the Ficrex. Uh, I only have three of these. Uh, I'm kind of glad about that, actually, because I've already been talking for a while and uh, have other things that I want to talk about. These are three cool ones. Uh, I actually... Let me get to them. I actually... <laughs> I have not read any of these except one. The first is Do You Offer Your Throat to the Wolf with Red Roses by Ambrosia29. This is on AO3. The summary is, Beth is on her way home after a difficult time living in Atlanta, trying to escape the pain her ex left behind. A man is beside the road. She offers him a ride, and he offers her an escape she can't refuse. Now, doesn't this sound enticing? I've skimmed the first chapter of it. I know generally, in the most general way, kind of what is going on in it. I definitely intrigues me, and one of the reasons why it intrigues me a lot is because it is another attempt to do something really dark. Something that actually kind of pushes the limits of darkness for, for these characters and, and for these kinds of stories. Something that I've been given to understand was sort of, in terms of trying to push limits, inspired a little bit by everything where it belongs, which I, is incredibly flattering and I'm very happy about. There are things that I am reluctant to do or to encourage people to do regarding fic, but there are also some things that I love seeing people do. And I love seeing people push boundaries, even if, you know, the results of that are not necessarily always the most ideal. And I'm very, just looking at the tags for this on AO3, I'm very uh, interested and excited to see some of the places that this is going into. Just looking forward to that. So, just mostly sight and scene, but I feel very confident recommending this. Also, everybody who's been talking about it says nothing but great things about it. So, the second one is Learn the Rules by Vlora. Beth thought the hard part would be to find her family. Daryl thought the hard part would be to let her go. Turns out neither was right. This is an AU set around the season finale onward. This is on AO3 also, I think. This is another one I haven't read. But this is something that I think Molly recommended to me, and pretty much anything Molly recommends I trust is going to be good, because her taste tends to line up very much with mine, among other things. But also, I think she's just a really good judge of what's good. So, check that one out. And finally, and I have read this one, and it's really good, and it's born, is Making Room by Molly, Shweezy, for maybe. Uh, Daryl wakes up with his hand in an interesting place. Beth doesn't seem to be complaining. It's basically fingering. And it's just good, though. It's hot and it's really sweet. And, uh, you know, I, I don't 
think that that really needs any more recommendation than that. Hot and sweet are two of like my favorite things. Also hot and angsty. Uh, really hot in anything. And of course it's Molly, so it's gonna be good porn. That is also an AO3. So take a look at that. Okay, so that's it for now. Again, please send me your FICREX. I really depend on you guys to provide me with this particular kind of content. And also, especially just again, a reminder, there are certain fix that all of us know about and really don't need any promotion. If you see a fic that you think is not getting enough recognition, even if it's old, and in fact, I think that there are a lot of old gems floating around out there that people just don't know about because they're old. You know, and, and, and people tend to miss older stuff, especially if it was posted at kind of a different time in the fandom, because the fandom's involved a lot in the last couple of years. Please let me know. I really want to showcase things that people don't know enough about. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing this originally. So getting to the actual topic of this episode, which again, I already kind of introed uh, in the beginning back there. What is great about this fandom? And not just what is great about it, but what has it meant to you personally? And I loved the stuff I got for the first episode of this. The first part of this, uh, I got some wonderfully personal things, which is exactly what I wanted. I, I got some people really not just talking about, you know, oh, I just like the fic or, oh, I love these characters or I've made some cool friends, but, but people saying, you know, this really kind of saved me in an important way because it, I mean, that's my experience as well, that this has been a support structure and a time when really needed something. I think that that's been, that's true for a lot of us. And I think partly that's because of who Beth is, but I think it's just also kind of just true of who we are. So I have, I have two further testimonials. They're lengthy, so I'm fine having two. I don't think it's going to be a problem in terms of taking up the time. The first is from Vampire Cat, uh, <laughs> entitled What This Fandom Has Meant to Me, an essay by Melanie. I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole thing. This fandom is an interesting space for me, because in a way it has become more than The Walking Dead and more than Bethel. Sure, it started out as that, and it was fun to find like-minded people who were happy to talk about and create different things about the ship. But I think over time it's evolved, firstly because it had to, and secondly because I suspect this is just what fandoms do. With CODA, and for the purposes of what I'm going to say, it is irrelevant which side of the fence you pitch your tent on. She means Team Delusional slash Team Defiance, obviously. This fandom seemingly evolved into a fic fandom, and that has actually been a silver lining on this gray cloud for me. We produce so much, we write so much, we create so much, and I think this is likely why we're still here. And I think it's very important. Parentheses. So leave reviews, damn it. Leave them. I wish to second that. For me personally, it has given me a chance to be creative, to write something just for me, but to see it well received by others. It's been an escape from some of the nastier things in my life, and has simultaneously helped me to hone my skills as a writer. I've gotten better, and I don't say that to be all, look at me, I'm perfect. I say that because I've not written much before, and those were things I was terrified of writing. Like smut, for example. I never in a million years thought I could, would write smut, and fucking look at me now. I never thought I could write angst or tension or suspense, but this fandom made me willing to try, and I did. Maybe it's not great, maybe it's not even good. Uh, personal interjection, it's very good. But I did it, and I'm learning, and I owe this fandom that of nothing else. And through this fandom, I found other fandoms, and I tried my hand at writing for those as well. For example, Bates Motel, Dilemma, these are ship portmanteaus, I don't know what they mean, but here they are. Daredevil, Castle, fandoms. I've become more confident, and I do think more creative. And that's down to solely to watching and listening and interacting with people in this fandom. I also have made friends. I have people I now have in-jokes with. I have people with whom I can discuss writing or meta or just my silly cats if I want to. 
And that brings me to something else. It's very cool knowing there's a bunch of people that you can just go to because you just want to do something, like talk about Norman Reedus's arms, or whether Beth would prefer it on top, or whether Bob Stuckey should still be around. Short answer, of course he fucking well should. You can't, or at least I can't do that with my friends because they would probably think I'm weird. Uh, it, you are. We all are. They don't watch the shows I do, or they are not invested in it the way I am. So fandom is a wonderful place for that. I admit that there are times I just want to pack up and leave, but I think what this fandom has given me is more important than what it tries to take away. And I kind of feel like I owe people a big thank you for making that the case. Blah. That's, that's literally the last thing here. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, I mean, one of the things I love about this is that it's basically an exact echo of mine. Except for going to other fandoms, because I tend to be very fandom monogamous personally, and when I have one, I stick with it until we break up. Or divorce, or one of us dies. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool it, that this is such a reflection of how I feel, that this is such a reflection of how uh, I think so many of us feel. It's especially the honing skills as a writer and that this is so, such a fic-oriented fandom, because it is. Uh, yeah, we have wonderful fan artists. Yes, we make gift sets. Yes, there is just some amazing meta. But I think that the primary thing that we produce is fic. It's one of the reasons why I have fic recs in this thing. And it's one of the reasons why that's a lot of what I talk about. It's, it's that I'm a fic writer. That is my contribution to this fandom's content. But it's also that I think that that's what, that's what mostly is there. And one of the things that I think, I think is very ironic about that, and also emphasizes our resilience as a group of people in a community, is that the explosion of creativity and the the writing of all of this fic, even as I think our numbers have dropped, I was talking to some people about this the other day, uh, our numbers have dropped. Uh, we're smaller than we used to be. Of course we are. But Beth appears to be dead. Why would some people stick around for that? Plus, you know, the toxicity. But we're still producing just a tremendous amount. And what we're producing is great. And I think that, among other things, just this incredible determination to tell stories is a response to the blow that CODA dealt us. We could have collapsed, we could have just kind of dispersed, and instead we banded together and we started telling stories. And it's not that we hadn't been telling stories before, but we have told so goddamn many, and they've been so good, and they've been so wildly creative. Because, and this is another thing that I think is really ironic, uh, it's, it's actually, I wouldn't say it's something that came out of CODA that I like, but I kind of like it. I, I don't want people to take that wrong, but that, that is that is how I feel. Because we have nothing now. Because we have a blank slate. And those of us who believe Beth is alive do have our theories about what's actually going on and what actually happened and what might happen in the future. We have, we have nothing. And because we have nothing, because we have a blank slate, because we have a white canvas, we can do anything. We're not constrained by canon, and canon can intrinsically be constraining. We can go nuts over what we write and what we think about because, I think, not least because there is nothing right now going on on the show. And again, that would crush some other fandoms. But we've reacted by filling that blank space, and I love that. It's certainly one of the things that's, that's helped to motivate me. And another thing that, that I love about how fic-oriented this is, aside from the fact that it just encourages you to write. I mean, I, I write a lot anyway, because money. But 
I think that since I started writing in this fandom, my writing has improved. Uh, there are a number of ways in which it's actually become more difficult, but I think a lot of that has to do with just external burnout uh, that I would be feeling anyway. But I think that especially in terms of my prose, in terms of my ability to put together a plot, uh, in terms of my ability to carry something through to an ending, uh, I've, I've gotten a lot better. And I think that you just get better anyway when you do a lot of writing, regardless of what it is that you're writing. But I think that this fandom has helped me get better. And I think I was already pretty decent. And and that's great. I love that I've gotten something out of this that is professionally useful. But I think that that's true with any kind of writing. And I think that fan fiction definitely, because it allows you to do so many things that original quote-unquote fiction does not. So there's huge value in that. And it's one of the things that I really loved. And also the ability to talk to people who get it. Yeah, I, I don't really have that outside of this fandom either. And that's not unusual. I think that that's actually the feeling of most people in a fandom. The, one of the reasons why we get into fandoms, this is a group of people who get it. And there really isn't anybody outside that group of people who get it that's kind of the reason why it's a group. It's, it's just kind of, it's like that by definition. That's what a fandom is. But it's, it's great to have that, and it's great to have it be reliable. Uh, I, I mentioned that when I went to Wiscon, you know, Wiscon is a very fanish convention. It's, it's of, the, of the conventions I go to, it's probably the most fan-oriented, although it's also quite literary, and that's actually the primary reason why I go. But when I was there, I, I was, as far as I could determine, the only Walking Dead fan, <laughs> or at least I was the only one who was willing to talk about it, because it's not a very cool fandom to be in. It's not like Marvel Universe. It's not like Bates Motel. It's not like Daredevil. It's, it's not nearly as respectable, because it's a stupid zombie show. So I was very lonely in some ways. And I, I felt very keenly that I was not with a group of people who got it. They did, because, you know, fans. Fandom is kind of fandom, but also I, I just, you know, I kind of missed my people. It's one reason why I want you all to fucking come to Wiscon, but it's great to have that. The community by nature is such a huge thing. And it's, it's even in, even in moments of venting, even in moments where I'm very angry at, at stuff, it's, it is one of the things that makes that anger redeemable, I guess, is the word. And I'll be talking about this a lot more in, in the upcoming venting episode. So moving on to finish this up with Abelina, another short essay. I've been involved in fandom before, shipped pairings which have grabbed me by the heart, prodded at my brain until stories begin flowing in, but none of them have done for me what Bethel has done. There's just something about these two that takes whatever love I felt for the previous pairs I wrote about, Spike and Buffy being one of them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of my pairings too, although I never wrote fic. And launches it into the sky. Bethel goes beyond the typical tough guy, good girl pairing trope because there's so much depth to these characters. Daryl in particular because he was a bigger character, but Beth too. They don't look like they'd work on the surface, but then you throw them together and their potential just explodes. Watching this broken man who just wants to be good but doesn't know how to get close to people, suddenly hard eyes over this seemingly weak young woman who isn't weak at all and she shows him that. Ugh, it's just... <laughs> and Daryl never shows the side of him before or after that he shows with Beth and it's beautiful. That's just a basic description of why I love them, but if you're after what Bethel's done for me personally, okay, here goes. From early 2012 to autumn of 2013, I felt the absolute best mentally I had ever felt. I dealt with untreated depression for much of my adult life, and in late 2011, I felt as low as I ever had until that point. So when I climbed out of that, due to a specific set of circumstances, I couldn't believe how good I felt. 
I was social, I was active, I was generally feeling like I had finally figured out how to live. Then it crashed. A year and a half later, I spiraled down and kept going. Far beyond where I was in late 2011, to the point where it's physically exhausting just to have lunch with my mother some days, and very hard to handle living with a husband who doesn't understand the need for self-time and isn't very fond of giving me any. I keep trying to engage and interact and get out, mostly because nobody will just do what I want and leave me alone, but it's been hard. Very hard, and when I finally have a day to myself, I don't want to do anything. Add in some anxiety, which I never had before, and a general sense of hopelessness that waxes and wanes, but never goes away, and you got me. Seeking a distraction from my own head, I marathon The Walking Dead, and I found Daryl and Beth and Bethel. I watched her death, or quote-unquote death, I nod toward TD, in real time, and instead of making me want to give up on the show, it made me want to read stories that did what the show did not. Then it made me want to write, and writing is and always will be very cathartic for me. I've done it my whole life, since I was 10 years old, and my teacher told me to stop writing so much and just cut to the chase already. It's one of the few things I know I'm good at, and it makes me happy to do it, even when nothing else has changed. I had this. And even more than that, I'm the writer who has grand ideas but never writes them. I looked on with longing at the authors posting 100,000 plus words and wishing someday I could tell a story like that. My longest fic was 46,000 words in length, and it took me three years to write. I'd settled on being the short story one-shot type author, and then Bethel happened. Bethel and fall right in. It's the type of story I always wanted to tell, and I felt like it was just waiting for these two to come along. It's like there was always their story, and it's not easy. I'm not the fastest writer, and I'm once again pushing through a time when the words aren't flowing as easily as they should. But finally, finally, I have become that author. I feel like absolute crap most days, but Bethel gives me something to create, to love, and dream about, and people to talk with in a way that doesn't leave me exhausted. It's given me something to be proud of when I'm not feeling particularly proud of anything. Something to love on the days when it's very hard to love myself. This is just such a common thread through all of these things. The specifics of it vary. The severity of it varies. The circumstances vary. But the thread running through everything everybody said to me, and I, you know, I think that there is something of a, a self-selection effect there because I think the people who said something to me about this are people who have strong feelings about it just kind of like how people leave reviews on Yelp, usually when they love or hate something. And the thread running through all of this is that this was a saving grace. This was support. This was something that came along when people really didn't have very much else. I've said that that was true for me. And I think that this explains in a really deep way why this fandom is so resilient. A community is only really as strong as the people who make it up. Uh, a community becomes what it is because of the individuals who are part of it. This is nothing that isn't obvious to everybody, I think. If this community, if this fandom is resilient, if, if this fandom is strong, it's because the people in it are strong. The people in it are resilient. And I think that this is something that's also just true of us, of, of people in the world right now. Nobody I know is mentally healthy. And I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. Uh, I'm not mentally healthy. I actually just started on a new medication this morning that I'm hoping will finally go some way toward fixing me in a way that I need to be fixed. But nobody I know is mentally healthy. All of, all of the people I know, and this is not just true of this fandom, all of the people I know, including people in my own family, and in fact, especially people in my own family, are not okay and are trying to become okay, and many days are just completely not okay in some of the deepest ways possible. I grew up with mental illness. 
I have been mentally ill for as long, pretty much as long as I can remember. I don't know what it's like to be mentally healthy. I sort of have made peace with the idea that I never will. I can send symptoms into remission, I can get better at managing them, but they're always going to be there. And that's just kind of, that's kind of just how my brain is. And I have made, I think, a degree of peace with that. And I know many people who are in the exact same situation as me. Things just kind of ambiently suck on a low level. And sometimes that low level spikes and becomes high. But we're all making it work. Nobody I know who is mentally ill, and again, that's pretty much everybody, nobody I know who's struggling is not also incredibly strong. It's not necessarily the case that I think that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be like, you should be happy that you're struggling, or you should welcome the fact that you're going through hard times, or you should be happy about the fact that you're mentally ill. But these kinds of things do bring out our strength. They bring out our resilience. When we're tested, we come to understand how strong we are. And that doesn't mean we shake things off and we become great, you know, in, in spite of the fact that we're going through this shit. But it means that we persevere. We get beaten down sometimes. We have days where we're not functional. We have long periods where we just want to give up. But we don't. Uh, we keep going. And, well, Daryl is the guy I most identify with in some ways, in very much not in other ways. But he's the guy I feel the strongest psychological and emotional draw to. Beth embodies this for all of us, I think. I, I think in many respects, Beth embodies that for the show. It's one of the reasons why I don't personally believe she's gone. It's not the only reason or even the biggest reason, but it is one of the reasons why I don't personally believe she's gone. This is one of the things that I think drew us to this. It is her as a strong person, her as a person who should not be surviving in this world and is, and again, I think has, She's somebody who's gone through incredible difficulty and has demonstrated incredible emotional and mental resilience as a result of that. Somebody who's been in very, very dark periods and has come through them. And she's with in our ship and, you know, in a big chunk of season four, regardless of how you interpret that relationship. She's with a guy who also is incredibly broken in some really deep ways. And she's helping him heal. And that's one of the things that I found most deeply resonant about this ship. It's not just about, oh, this is, this is a romantic, emotionally resonant ship, because, you know, the, the, all the reasons why relationships, romantic relationships, are emotionally resonant. You know, the kind of stereotypical ways in which we care about these things. And it's not just that it's hot, because it fucking is. It's really that at its heart this is a relationship that's based around healing. That's what you start seeing in Alone. That's, that's kind of the whole point of what that relationship is demonstrated to be in Still and in Alone. This is something that heals. Uh, if, if you read my stuff, I think you might have noticed that that's a through line. Even my extremely dark stuff is really at heart about healing. Safe Up Here With You was about healing. That was really the whole point of the story. Everything Where It Belongs is a journey toward healing. It's, it's an incredibly dark journey toward healing. It's me attempting to be as disturbing as I possibly can, but it's about healing. It's about getting better. I'll Be Yours for a Song is entirely about healing. That's really all it's about. It's about romance, it's about love, but it's about those things in service to the idea that you can heal. I don't really think that I write about anything else. I think even my porn is about healing. It's all about that. And I think it's partly because that's a story that just resonates with me. You know, when, when people are hurting, when people are in pain, when people are going through adversity, when people are sick, 
how are they sick? What you want is healing. That's what you look for. That's what you focus on. And that's what you're drawn to. And it's one of the reasons why I think we're all drawn to this relationship. But this relationship encourages those stories. It encourages stories about healing. Uh, I think if you're going to write about these people in character, it's, it's hard not to come to that in the end. And it's, I'm not saying, by the way, that stories that don't are bad. I'm, I'm not saying that stories that decide to diverge from that are not in character or are bad stories. That's not true at all. But I've noticed that probably most of the stories I've read about these characters end up being about healing, and I think that that's just because that's who they are. And one of the things that I most love about that, uh, somewhat counterintuitively, is that it allows you the flexibility of not having this ship be romantic. Uh, not having it be sexual. You can write about asexuality in, in a specific way in this ship and have it be just as emotionally powerful. Or you can write about it as platonic and have it be just as emotionally powerful. I personally have not, because that's just not what I'm inclined to do. But if you want to just write about this as an incredibly intimate friendship, that's still the core. Regardless of how you interpret the nature of this relationship, what makes this relationship so powerful is always present. Romance is not required. Sex is not required. The healing is always going to be there. And you know, of, of all the relationships, all the fandom ships, everything that I've really been super interested in as, as a storyteller and as somebody who just consumes stories, I think that this might be the ship that is the most centered around that. It's by no means the, the only one that's been centered around that, but in terms of it being the core element, in terms of it being the defining factor, I, I actually can't think of another one that I've been into. I think that this is the uniquely defining element of these two people and who they are for each other. And don't you think that's beautiful? That is one of the one of the big things that keeps me here, I think. This is a story that I need. This is a story that I think a lot of us need. And I, okay, uh, I'm sorry, Team Defiance moment. So those of you who are not interested in that, please get off the bus. I promise it won't take too long. I think the writers are aware of that. And one of the reasons why I think the writers are aware of that is because it's in canon. We didn't pull that out of our asses. We use it and write about it and are drawn to it because it's already there. The writers put it in there, and I think they put it in very intentionally. And the thing about that is that to then rip the probably most important element in that relationship away from the person who arguably needs the most healing, that, that doesn't, for me, match anything we saw about it prior. And it doesn't really fit anything we've seen since then, because what we've seen since then is that Daryl has regressed unbelievably. Uh, he hasn't been right since Coda. He hasn't been okay since then. Even when he had slight steps upward at the end of five and at the very beginning of six, uh, he still wasn't okay. He still wasn't back to where he was before he lost Beth for what he believes is good for good. And I, I don't think that the writers would be doing that for nothing. They don't do things like that for no reason. It's just not what they've ever done. And it's certainly not what Scott Gimple does. And I think that that's going somewhere. I, I think that it's sort of it's sort of like the stories that I really like to tell. It's a journey into a really dark place for a really long time, but it's a journey down in order to come back up. I really believe that because I think that that matches the defining element of their relationship as defined by the writers themselves. I think that what we saw in Still and Alone was a preview of something much bigger. That is the way in which I make sense of it. It's really the only way I can make sense of it. 
And I think that that also is one of the reasons why I won't give up and I won't leave. Now, if I thought Beth was dead, I would probably still be here because I, I love these people. But, and I love you guys, but there is an element of hope there with the healing that uh, serves to keep me anchored here in an extra way. And I think that that's obviously not true for all of us because not all of us, not all of us think that she's alive, but it's, I think, very true for those of us who believe that she is. And I really hope and believe that we'll be proved right and that this is that kind of story. It's the kind of story that we're inclined to tell because of who they are. And I think it's the kind of story that the writers have decided that it is, even if it doesn't seem like that right now. All right, I've been talking for a long time, so I'm going to wrap up and get to the fic reading for today. Now, the, the thing about that... Here's the thing about that. I was trying to find a story that would sort of match this theme, where there was sort of a, a, an element of healing in it. And I found that, and it's really lovely, and it's really sweet. The problem with that is that it ends in a gut punch. <laughs> now, I, I decided to go with it because I think it's a beautiful gut punch. I, I think it's really well done. And I don't think that it's necessarily depressing. It's just a gut punch. So, uh, warning about that. Although I, I perhaps have spoiled it. Uh, this is a sweet, cute story. And then it just punches you in the gut. But I love it. I'm very, very happy that I found it. Uh, it's called Quoth the Raven Nevermore. And it's by Alchemistique. It's on AO3. And yes, I'm going to dive into it. I hope you enjoy it. Quoth the Raven Nevermore by Alchemistique. He doesn't really notice he's doing it until someone mentions it. They're on a run. Lori's shown enough for it to be worrisome at this point, and the group is split between those they need to watch others' backs while they scavenge and those that can take care of everyone else. He's halfway down a pick-through aisle at the grocery store when his eye catches on the hairbands, nothing he ever would have paid mind to a few years ago, but for some reason he pauses, ignoring Glenn further down the aisle trying to be sneaky about the box of rubbers that miraculously still seems to be there. Remembers the way Herschel's youngest had tugged at her hair in frustration when it snagged on a branch or something, middle of them hauling ass out of dodge behind a herd of walkers. Remembers the flush on her face when he'd whipped out his knife to slice her loose. She hadn't fought it, like you might have expected out of her. Just tilted her head down so he couldn't see her face as he cut through the thick strands, hadn't said a word as he freed her, nudged her forward after the group that hadn't even noticed them fall behind. They didn't talk much, those months out on the road. None of them, really. She didn't thank him, a fact he would remain grateful for for a long fucking time, like she knew he wouldn't take it well, like she understood it'd make him uncomfortable. Remembers the fuss Maggie'd kicked up when they finally found a safe place to rest, and her sister's first moment of calm was to tell them all she wanted to chop it off, her hair. Not like he cared a damn what she did with her damn hair, so long as he wasn't slicing chunks out of it for the rest of their lives just to keep her from getting snarled in fences and shit, but even Herschel seemed upset by the thought like it was a fucking limb she was threatening to cut off. His mind falls to that rooftop in Atlanta for just a second too long. Just hair. Still, she hadn't done it. And in the weeks since then, he's watched her struggling with it. It's not like she's the only damn thing he ever looks at, but he's an observant motherfucker, for better or worse. And he notices things. Things like the growing distance between Lori and her family. Things like Carl's slow descent into the dark corners they all worked so hard to keep him away from. Things like the way Herschel looks at his daughters. 
He hasn't known the man long, but he likes him, respects him, maybe even cares about him in a way he'd never expected. It's not like Rick, who has let him slide pretty easily into the spot Shane had once held. And Jesus, they're all fucked six ways from Sunday. There's so much shit they haven't had time to wrap their heads around. But there's a kindness and a strength in Herschel. He's always been too out of it to notice before. Kind of father a man would hope to be. Kind of man someone might hope to be, if they thought about that kind of thing. Things like Beth struggling with her hair every day as she tries to find any damn thing to tame it. He grabs two packs of the things and shoves them into his side pocket as they keep working their way through the leftovers in the store. When he tosses them at a startled Beth that afternoon, she catches them midair while she's still looking at him like he's grown a second head, probably because he practically snarled her name, and hell, probably also because he's never actually said her name aloud, neither. But they've been together a while at this point. They're not a huge fucking group. He knows her goddamn name. Even if he mostly prefers girl, he still thinks of her as Beth most of the time, in his head, when he's thinking about everyone. What is this? Daryl stares her down a moment. Fuck do I know they're called? Shit for your hair. Oh. Her face goes pink again as she ducks her head to stare at them. Bright, rainbow colors all laid out in neat rows. They look strange in her hands. They shouldn't, but they do. All bright and shiny and new against the neutral of her outfit. Better than Maggie griping at you not to cut it every time she gets a look at it. She hums, glances at him through her lashes. Smiles, a bit, just a tilt to one corner of her mouth. Doesn't thank him. He's still grateful for that. Herschel and Maggie let her go when they canvass a strip of stores along an empty main street in Podunk Nowhere. He's surprised, mostly, and maybe a little extra careful about clearing the stores before they go in, but it's good that she's getting the practice in, that she wants to. The knife she borrowed is heavy in her hand, and he's probably being an asshole about how much he watches her out of the corner of his eye but he's fucking tired of losing people to dumb mistakes, and he'll be damned if he lets this girl die in a souvenir shop 50 miles from the destruction of her childhood home. He catches her staring at a leather-bound book while he's stuffing expired jerky packs into his bag, and she rolls her shoulders in when he stops to look at her, eyes darting away from the line of journals. What, you ain't got enough money for it or something? She seems surprised by his voice, by the words, by the gentle humor he instills in them. He guesses he probably surprises them all the goddamn time. No, it's just... it's silly. Don't need it. He gets it. He does. They've been living hand-to-mouth for months now, barely scraping enough food together to keep them from tumbling off the road in a strong wind. They've been giving up a lot of things they don't need. Got room in my pack, if yours is too full. She shakes her head. Is already halfway down the aisle again, looking for necessities. He waits till she's around the corner, stuffs two of them into a pocket, grabs a handful of stupid-as-fuck-looking pens, and shoves them in there, too. Just because they don't need them doesn't mean they gotta live like vultures. They're all freezing their asses off, and Daryl had volunteered for first watch just because it meant he could pace back and forth to keep himself from getting as cold as everyone else seems to be, huddled up together like a group of teenage girls after a long night of giggling. Only the one teenager they actually have is curled out by herself on the outside, clutching at her blanket and staring up at the moldy ceiling like it's got the answers to all the universe's questions. She's a quiet thing, doesn't talk much, never complains about a damn thing. Not once in the months they've been wandering in circles, and he definitely hadn't expected that out of her. Daryl's pretty sure he talks more than Beth Green. He can tell from across the room, even in the near darkness, that she's shivering. 
It takes him about five minutes of listening to her, trying not to let her teeth chatter before he sighs, reaching behind his pack to pull the old horse blanket he cut a hole through the middle of up over his head. It's six and a half steps to reach her, and she freezes at the sound of his footsteps, eyes snapping shut like she means to make him believe she's both asleep and comfortable. He stifles a snort. But it makes it easier to lay the thing across her, the both of them pretending she's asleep. Don't have to talk or look at each other. No argument involved in which one of them will be colder. Just a gentle swish of fabric, and the urge to tug the ends up over her shoulders and tuck it under her chin. He fights that urge. Stands. Turns back to his spot on the far wall. After a few minutes, he can hear her tugging the thing up a bit, and it's dark enough, quiet enough, that he shakes his head and smiles. He finds it folded neatly next to his pack when he wakes up the next morning. She never says a word about it. Daryl doesn't mind. It's not just Herschel's girl. It's not. He finds clothes for Carl sometimes, too small to fit any of them, but just the right size that Carl won't grow out of them in a week like he seems to be doing all the time now. Kids growing like a damn weed, he'll be taller than Daryl soon enough. And isn't that a thought? Kid growing up at the end of the world. Keeps his thoughts to himself on that. They got a baby about to enter this world too, and if it survives, they're all going to have to come to terms with that. And a single one of them wouldn't lay down their lives for the bump of Lori's belly. He can't imagine what they'll be willing to do when that thing has eyes and a mouth and can reach for them all. He'll find things sometimes, makes him think of one of them, and he's not always the best at giving them away once he finds them, but he's getting there. Grown as a person or something. You're like a magpie, man. Where do you even find this stuff? Glenn is the only one who ever really comments on it, but Beth finds him later, when he's brooding away from the group. He doesn't know why he does it, exactly, only he remembers being like this as a kid, bringing home pretty rocks and bouquets of weeds to his ma, remembers a smile that lit her face even though it was all garbage, remembers the line of gifts on her bedside table, before things got real bad. You're more like a raven, she tells him without preamble sitting down across from him, fingers digging into the grass as she curls her long legs up to her chest. I know, bird, he tells her, gruffer than he meant mostly. He gets defensive sometimes. What's with the wings, then? She answers back, small smile lighting her face, and he feels like she's staring into his soul, like she's seeing things he hid from everyone, including himself, a long-ass time ago. They sit in silence a while, Beth smiling, Daryl avoiding eye contact. They do that, you know? Find little trinkets. I read a story once about a murder room used to bring beads and coins and things to a little girl who'd made friends with them. They remembered her. Figured she'd like the things they found. Kept on bringing them to her all the time. She took care of them, and they wanted to show their appreciation. He shuffles, uncomfortably aware that she knows him a whole hell of a lot better than he thought. You're a good man, Daryl Dixon, she tells him, and he wants to fold in on himself and cry for about a thousand years. He can feel his hand shaking where he's got it clenched in a fist by his side. I ain't. She doesn't argue with him, just stares at him for a long moment. Hums, low in her throat, like she wants him to know no one actually believes that, even if she doesn't say so. You still got that journal hidden in your bag? She finally asks, and Daryl's gaze snaps up to hers. There's something open in her gaze. No judgment, no questions. Just an honest curiosity. He shrugs, chews at the inside of his cheek. I don't know. When she stands, she unfurls herself like a flower greeting the morning sun. 
He watches it, mesmerized, and doesn't flinch when her hand ghosts over his shoulder as she moves past him toward the tree line. You're a good man, Daryl. He does flinch away from this one. He's blown Herschel up in his head as this saintly old man with a heart of gold, and even though he knows he ain't that, it's not easy to take those words without a fight. He isn't. Never was. Never will be. Seen too much. Done too much. Fucked it up every time he tried to fit those words. Sit down with me a second and let me talk at you. Daryl doesn't do it without a fight, but eventually Herschel stares at him long enough he knows he's not getting out of it. Slumps to the floor of the warehouse they're in, stares at the dirt under his fingernails. I know you don't think you're part of this. Not completely. But we need you. We always have, and you've never shied from that. Never complained. Never sought a way out. Never asked for anything in return. You'd be fine without me. Herschel hums. Maybe. Maybe not. But we want you here. You're one of us. His smile is wry. I'm afraid to tell you this, but I think you might be stuck with us now. Daryl rolls his tongue over his teeth, mulls over the words for a while. It's not right, exactly, and his death wouldn't make or break this group. Even though they seem to think different, it wouldn't. But it's not the worst thing in the world to hope he might be at least a bit important to them. Like they all are to him. Ain't so bad. Had worse. Herschel laughs as he claps Daryl's shoulder. Carol laughs at him when he tucks a little flower into the spot between the top of her ear and her scalp. We going steady now? Stop, he tells her, fighting a blush. He likes being around Carol. It's easy. She teases him. He comforts her in whatever gruff way he can. They've seen each other's scars. The real ones and the ones they tuck away from the world. He doesn't really think about women the way the rest of the world always seems to. Knows there's something different about the way he interacts with them. Doesn't expect the kinds of things most men probably do when they get close to a woman. Carol, if he had to explain it, is something like a friend, a real one, and not just someone who knew his name and face and what kind of beer he drank. Well, good. I didn't want to have to fight anyone for your changed affections. He scuffs at the ground as they continue to walk, confused by the comment. He thinks maybe if he doesn't respond, he won't have to keep thinking about what it meant. You've got no clue what you're doing with these people, do you? The shrug shakes his whole torso. It's not like he ever had much practice being part of a family. Not one like this. Herschel thinks you've got a soft spot for Beth. If his head could disconnect from his neck, the way he snaps his head up surely would have done it. Oh, calm down, lover boy. He knows nothing's going on. But you might want to take a moment for yourself and sort out your thoughts before something hits you that you weren't expecting. Like what? She gives him a smile that's part knowing, part sympathetic. Like she knows more about his own brain than he does. She probably does. It's a fucking mess in there. You ever been in love, Daryl? The fuck does that have to do with anything? The answer is no. Unequivocally no. He loved his ma, loved his brother. He knows that. But even that had always been curled up in disappointment and pain. Doesn't really get the whole idea, letting your world circle so completely around another person. He's seen the way it's eaten up at Rick and Lori. Hollowed them out from the inside. Nothing. It's got nothing to do with anything. He finds the little headband in an abandoned house tucked away into the woods, five miles out from the prison. Something in him keens as he curls it up against his palm. He's thought a lot about that question Carol asked him. Thinks maybe the answer is a little different. 
That was the moment he'd seen that baby girl, tucked her up in his arms, watched her latch her lips around the nipple of that bottle. Knows what love feels like. It's terrifying, gut-wrenching, makes him uncomfortable and itchy, makes his heart clench and his knees buckle and every other stupid fucking thing he's ever heard about love. That's the best feeling he's ever had. He sneaks in late that night, finds Beth humming as a little girl settles into something like sleep. He never wanted kids, not after being one himself. But here, with the world gone to shit and the dead walking, with so much death and loss around them, he sees Judith Grimes reach out tiny fingers to wrap around the braid in Beth's hair, and he feels this overwhelming sense of rightness. You find anything useful? Beth asks him, and he wonders at it, her taking on this kid like it's her own. Wonders if it's because she finally feels like she's doing something for the group other than clinging on. He gets the urge to tell her she kept them all sane out on the road, but he doesn't. He found some clothes, a few odds and ends the group had been asking about. Not much. The headband is wrapped around his knuckles, and it feels like he's holding the Holy Grail. Any trouble? Daryl shakes his head, wants desperately to reach out and run his dirty hands over the downy hair on top of Judy's head. He just come by for some girl talk then? She's smiling, teasing, and he's not sure how he feels about that. About all of these people treating him like he's a part of their life now, like it's okay to poke at him, because he's one of them. Mostly, he thinks he could get used to it. Found this. I guess she probably don't need it yet, but... She studies the pink band wrapped around his fingers, ducking her head away from him so he can't quite read her expression. Sometimes Daryl wonders if they get as frustrated with him when he does that. It's cute. Out of nowhere, he feels the response bubbling up and he bites his lip to keep from saying it. You're cute, all petulant and snappy. Her fingers are soft as she unfurls it from around his palm, barely touching, but enough that he wonders how the hell she keeps them that way. She tucks the thing carefully into her own hand, long fingers holding it wide to slip over the top of Judith's head. Beth shoots him a look when Judith stirs. A grin almost wide enough to show teeth, and something like a challenge in her eye. Uncle Daryl's just a big ol' softy, Judith. He can grumble and grunt all he wants, but you and me? We know the truth, don't we? Judith gurgles like it's the most amusing thing she's ever heard. It's a damn joke is what it is. Whatever, he mutters, and he turns away, suddenly uncomfortable in this space that is so clearly Beth's. He stays awake, up in his perch, listening to Beth's soft singing. Until that, and the sound of the group's soft snore, sends him into a doze. He never finds a good time to give the journals to her. Not till the prison, anyway. But they settle in, start taking on people. Rick starts farming, and they set up a council to keep the peace with the Woodbury folk, and Daryl ends up being the face of the whole damn operation. Taking people in when he finds them, bringing them food, teaching them how to take care of themselves. It's a fucking joke. But he's good at it. It surprises him more than it surprises anyone else. He's slowly realizing he's the only damn one of them that doesn't know Daryl Dixon all that well. He finds him stuffed at the bottom of his pack on a run with the new kid, Zack, and Christ, if there was ever a person who could actually talk Daryl's ear off, it'd be Zack. The covers are bent a bit, a few pages showing wear and tear, but he yanks them out and digs for the pens that have got to be rattling around in there, too. Hands them off to Zack when the kid gives him a raised eyebrow. You know Beth, right? What, Judith's mom? Daryl blinks. He forgets sometimes that the rest of the world doesn't know the group's goddamn life story. She ain't her mom. Oh, there is a sudden gleam in his eye that Daryl finds sort of suspicious, but he lets it slide. Huh. Go drop these off for her, would you? 
He can't quite vocalize it, but he's hoping that maybe by now she's forgotten that run she made with him. Forgot the time she ribbed him for holding on to them, like she knew he'd stuff them in his pack. Zack takes off a moment later, humming something under his breath, and Daryl kind of feels like shit ten minutes later, like he should have given her them himself. That night he watches across the commons as Zack tilts his head towards Beth's ear, watches as her smile slices across her face in the firelight. He probably should have seen that coming. Girl like her, guy like Zack. Probably a match made in heaven, even if he appreciates the suspicious look Herschel is shooting their way. Watches until her eyes drift up, and then his gaze darts down to this bowl of stew he's been pretending to eat all night. He gets a good five minutes of staring at it before the shadow looms in front of him. Thanks for the pens. He grunts, looks up at her through his hair. Don't worry, I'll keep your secret. Me and Judy won't tell a soul. Fuck off, he says, but the words sound kind of affectionate even to his own ears. I won't even write about it in my new journal. Just in case, you know. Get out of my damn hair, girl, he tells her, but he knows he's at least smiling at her. She grins back. Yes, sir, Mr. Dixon. He shakes his head as he watches her go, and is only mildly alarmed when he caches Herschel's gaze with the knowledge that he'd seen the whole exchange. Herschel just gives him a firm nod and goes back to his meal. You ever been in love? Yes. I've never been in love before, she whispers in his dreams, on those rare nights when he doesn't see the back of her head bursting out and her body crumbling to the floor. She holds his gaze, firm eyes holding steady, and he wants to sling his skin free from his bones, set himself on fire, and be reborn in the ashes. She smiles when he drinks. She takes a drink of her own. And here we are again. Is your gut punched? I hope very much that your gut is appropriately and suitably punched. Yeah, I, I, I love that fic. I love that fic... Here's one of the reasons why I love that fic, aside from the gut punch, because, you know, that's like one of my favorite things ever. It's so fucking in character. Now, most of the fic that I love is in character, because that's kind of... That's sort of a requirement for me. Not all the time, but... but, but kind of 99% of the time. It's so in character. Because there are different degrees of in character, and there are different degrees of in character characterization. This feels like a missing fucking scene, doesn't it? It's also, it matches alone for me, very much in the sense that there's nothing sexual about this. There's really not even anything overtly romantic about it. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, there are little tiny elements of romantic tension, but, but really what it is for me, how I interpreted it and what it made me feel was that it was kind of deeper than both of those things. That this is about, this is about intense, positive, confusing feelings, which is exactly what Daryl was feeling in the long, especially the confusion. He is really drawn to this girl. This girl makes him uncomfortable. He doesn't really know what he's actually feeling about this girl. He's just trying to figure it out. Not sure exactly what it means. Carol obviously sees everything, poking him in a specific direction. Yes, he's in love. He's very much in love. 
he's falling in love with her very early on. I, I, I don't necessarily have a headcanon about that. Uh, I don't think he was necessarily falling in love with her until season four. Uh, but I like to think that he noticed some things about her before then. Just that she was a really good person. Uh, and that she was strong in ways that maybe other people were discounting, because I think that's the kind of thing that Daryl notices and values, because he cares so much about taking care of people, and he views that as such an ultimate good. But yeah, in the story, he's falling in, he's falling in love with her pretty early on. And I love that that love is not defined in any particularly deep way. That its depth is, is kind of a black box. That allows so much flexibility in terms of how you interpret it, because I think there are lots of different ways in which you can fall in love with somebody. You can fall in love with somebody in a way that is not romantic. You can fall in love with somebody in a way that is completely beyond romance, that, that, that is in a place where it pretty much escapes definition. It defies definition. And that, to me, feels like the core of this. And it, it makes Daryl better. And then at the end of it, he's kind of ruined again. But I, again, I don't think that that's necessarily a really depressing ending. I think it's a very sad ending, but I think that what it has done for him is not gone or over. And if you're like me, you don't even interpret this completely as a definite end. It's just sort of a, this is how things are for now. But yeah, love, 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 love. Thank you, Alchemistic, for, for writing that and for letting me read it. So I'm going to finish up and say goodbye to you. My usual reminder, if you want to materially support this podcast and the fandom work that I do in general, I have a Patreon. The link is on my Tumblr blog at the very top there with my other little collection of links. My Tumblr is dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com. So if you want to click on that link and go to Patreon and sign up for a small monthly donation, that is amazing. It makes it easier for me to justify the amount of time I'm putting into this. It tells me that you really appreciate what I'm doing, and it also does help me cover some out-of-pocket costs for some of the stuff that I do, which is very nice. And if you don't want to fuck around with Patreon, you can go to the website for this podcast, keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com. On the front page, there is a tip jar. The tip jar is a link to PayPal, and you can either, again, sign up for a regular donation or do a small little one-time toss a couple dollars in my hat slash the tip jar. And that is extremely appreciated. And once again, thank you so, so much to the people who have already done this. Uh, You make me incredibly happy. And if you can't or don't want to support this podcast in that way, you know, just just tell people about it. You know, reblog stuff. Make sure people know it exists. You can also subscribe to this via iTunes. And the cool thing about iTunes is that you can actually rate or leave a review, you know, if you're so inclined to do that. I don't know exactly when I'll be able to record the next episode of this, uh, obviously. The next episode chronologically after this one is probably going to be the next one in our reading series, which means I will be continuing Safe Up Here With You, and I will be continuing Vampire Cats Burn, which I'm so excited about. It's the chapter that I have read, and then after that, it's completely new to me, which is super exciting. But after that, I'm going to be doing the Venting Rant episode, which I'm very much looking forward to, because ranting is one of my favorite things to do, as you know if you know me. Thank you so, so much for listening. I appreciate it endlessly. And hopefully I will speak to you soon. Bye.